Hi, everybody, and thanks for checking out this week's edition of Tellich Talks. Today, it's David Lee Morgan. He's an English teacher at Stowe High School. He also teaches journalism. And, of course, this is very fitting because he is a former sports writer who was writing about legendary LeBron James when LeBron was in the sixth grade. He saw the kid become the king. And perhaps you read his book, LeBron James, The Rise of a Star. It's one of eight books that he has penned. He saw this young man become a worldwide icon. He's also a Emmy Award winner for his work on a documentary on trailblazing NFL legend and former Cleveland Brown, Marion Motley. A book on Motley that he has written will be out soon. And Morgan was part of an effort in Canton, Ohio, to erect a statue in Mr. Motley's honor. David Lee traces his journalistic roots way back to his mother. She's a renowned gospel singer. Her name, Gwen Morgan. She sang with the caravans. I've known David Lee a long, long time and respect his work. So with LeBron James making history and the Motley book coming out soon, plus memories of the great Jim Tressel, we decided to sit down in the studio at Stowe High School that his students use to learn their journalistic craft. Here's David Lee Morgan. This is a fantastic setup that you have here at Stowe High School, um, Mr. Morgan. It is. They, it's, it's a really great. It was already here for me, so I didn't have to do that much. But <laughs> the kids in my video journalism class, they love it because it's their space. You know what I mean? And they come in here like Mr. Morgan. We want to talk about whatever happened over the weekend or what are you know coming up with the sport or Super Bowl. They're like, so I'm like, go in there if you already got your script or if you're ad lib or whatever. Go in and do your thing. So this is a perfect spot for them. It's really great. Yeah. And and uh, since we're talking about things that are really kind of currently uh, happening uh, in your quote unquote former life, you were there at the the beginning of the LeBron uh, rise to fame and a sports writer, and here was this young kid over at Akron St. Vincent St. Mary. What was your first impression of him, and then let's take it from there. Well, you know what? So I got to know LeBron around sixth grade when, you know, him, Willie, Sheon, Drew, um, they were all playing in AAU games, gotcha. you know. And th so they would go into different tournaments, like maybe West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and they would win. So they would come back, and um, Coach Drew um, – Mr. Cotton, they would say, hey, can you get this in? So we would do little briefs in there, you okay. know, hey, the shooting stars or, you know, whatever the name was. I think it was the shooting stars. You know, they won this tournament. So it was started in sixth grade. But 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 his freshman year at St. V, you know, at the Beacon, I was covering the City Series. Gotcha. So with the City Series, you would have St. V and Hoban, even though they weren't in the City Series. They that was merge. part of the city. That they was part merge. of the city. Yeah. So I would also cover St. V and, and, um, and Hoban. But this this St. V team was something different. I mean, you had 14 year old kids, you know, um, they were like five and oh, seven and oh, ten and oh. And, you know, they were beating Division one teams, you know, and, you know, on the court, LeBron was scrawny as hell. Yes. I, he was wearing I, 32. Keith Danbrock wouldn't let him wear 23. He was like, you got to earn. You, you want to wear that number. You've got to show us yeah. that there's something in you that's going to get that. Yeah, yeah. So he was wearing 32. I, that's a trivia question I always ask people. What 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 number was LeBron? And they're like 23. Yeah. Nope. nope. He was 32. <laughs> 32. Yeah. His first year. But um, 
you got a chance to see that this was a different kind of they were different they knew they knew the game like even though they were young they had years like their basketball acumen was just incredible i mean they really knew the floor they knew they knew the court but they knew each other they knew how to play so is that mr joyce was that cotton what, what or you know it, it it was drew okay. naturally and it was and it was mr cotton lee cotton but i just think it was the fact that those guys had played together for so long at such a young age okay. and they also built a a, a a relationship among themselves that they trusted everybody like j just jumping ahead real quick like if you see how if you see how lebron was at in Cleveland with Booby Gibson. Like yeah. some of those teams should have never made the playoffs no. or at least never made it to the finals. And there is Booby making the biggest shots of the biggest game. Absolutely. And I re I compare that to... And that, that doesn't happen if he doesn't trust them. No. And that's, JT, that's it. That's, Booby was Drew. Like all of those guys, like, like those guys, LeBron took that same model and then tried to take it to Cleveland as far as trusting guys and, and, and maybe getting guys to to feel like they were just as important as him. Mm -hmm. And that's where it was at St. V. Like all those guys were just, they played their roles, but it was, wasn't just roles. Like they were good bass. They were good high school basketball players, but it was different because LeBron and everybody trusted everybody to where it was just seamless. It's just the way they played. was just seamless. You know what? It se seems to me to be um, the ultimate way that LeBron plays the game of basketball. Would it go back to the state title game freshman year? Was was that the game where actually he fed uh, young Drew for all of those three pointers? Was that a freshman year? Or yeah, am I, am yeah, I missing? Yeah, yeah, no, no, that was the freshman year. That was, that, that, that was freshman year, um, and that's when Drew came off the bench. Drew had 21 points. He shot the ball seven times. They were all threes, and he made them all. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, made them all. And at that point, you know, matter of fact, like early in the game. I want to say it was Jamestown Clear or Greenview. I think it was. Um, they were handling St. V. I mean, like St. Okay. V. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're talking about these 15-year-olds. They're at Value City Arena. It's sold out. It's the large. It, it at that time it was the largest, um, the, the largest game in, in Ohio State playoff history. And so you've got these guys, these young freshmen, 14, 15 years old, playing in a you know, you know, capacity crowd. Wow. Um, but I think what it was is those those kind of uh, venues didn't it, it didn't intimidate them once they settled in and once Drew showed that he could he was on that court for a reason and that they were 27 and 0 for a reason or 26 and 0 going to that game um, and then him knocking down those shots um, it showed that all of those guys trusted Drew they knew yeah. what Drew could do Drew knew what he could do and that would really set the tone of like how LeBron was a leader and how LeBron allowed his other players to kind of step up. And it sh and they knew that he trusted them. Mm -hmm. um, it was just other players thought, OK, leave leave him alone in the corner. You know, he's not going to hurt us. We've got a double team LeBron. And they did that and it and it, and it killed him. And, and it really elevated. I think it elevated Drew's game because going into that freshman year, you know, uh, they were all supposed to go to Bookdale. Right. You know, um, and everybody thought they were going to go to Bookville because of LeBron. It wasn't. It was because of Drew. They were going to go wherever Drew could play. And because of Drew's relationship with Keith Dambrot the summer of their eighth grade year at the JJ's, or JCC, um, 
And then Keith ended up getting the job at St. V. So then all of those guys were like, well, then let's just go to St. V. So that's how all of that came came around. But And, and you know, David, that shows the unselfishness of each one of those kids it, that 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 it, you know, at that point, especially LeBron, yeah. who was the most highly touted. Yeah. And this is the future and this kid's going to be a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Um, even at that early age, all those kids were thinking about this other guy, mm-hmm. about Drew, yeah, yeah, and about uh, we all have to be together. I find that really fascinating. I also find the fact that LeBron, a only child, yeah, was so unselfish. Yeah, that makes any sense to amateur psychologists. Yeah, out there. yeah. Well, you know, I'm sure you've seen more than a game. Yeah. Um, and Chris Bellman, who's a friend of mine, you know, he. You know, in in that film, it it talks about how um, I forget who it was. I think it was Drew saying that, um, you know, LeBron never wanted to be alone. Always wanted to be around. He always had to have people around him. And I think him always feeling that way, and then having this group of guys that they've played together since sixth grade, just just made it so much more easier for him to be on the court and then show his skills, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And not feel like he had to do everything. Yeah. How did the book come about? And what? when did the seed of uh, the thought that you want to write a, a book about this? Yeah, that's this a great kid? question. So um, it, this, it all happened when he came, he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. So this is his junior year? His junior year. Um, and it was it was crazy because that day, the day that it came out, um, they still had practice, so you know I go to I go to practice, and there's live trucks all along Maple Street. Oh yeah, we I mean, were there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Live trucks, antennas. Oh, yeah, yeah that, that brick road on, yeah, on yeah, Maple Street. Brick road. And I'm like, this is the most surreal thing I've ever seen. This is, I mean, there were grown men lined up, and everybody outside the school. I mean, they're in practice. I mean, school. I don't even think school was out yet, but everybody's out there. I mean, grown men, people out there just with magazines. And I'm thinking, this is surreal. This will never, I'm like, this is just incredible. So I started thinking, you know, I should chronicle this. I should write a book. And I remember, I remember I talked to some people at the Beacon. Okay. And ever somebody said, oh, you, should, you know, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. But Sheldon Ocker, Sheldon, right. my man, Shelly, Shelly, Shelly. I, so, I, so I said, Sheldon, I want to write a book about LeBron. He said, yeah, nobody's going to want to read this book right now. Okay. He said, it's a great idea, but why don't you wait until he's a senior? I mean, you know, write it and then have it come out after senior year because you still got some stuff to do. Yeah. And actually, that was the greatest advice because he was still – it was still his junior year. And if I'm going to write a book, he's still got to finish out his junior year and that senior year. Yeah, and all the controversies kind of came because of his fame. And, and it came and because of the fame, stuff. but that came a little bit later. That came his senior year. And and if and and so it, I was like Sheldon, great advice. And so I went to um, Gloria, and and I said, Glow, I'd love to write a book about this. You know, this is just something crazy. You know, it's never happened. She said, Well, let me talk to Bron. And then about two weeks later, she said, Okay, you could do it. And I said, What do you need? And I said, Okay, Gloria, I need friends. I need. Uh, where you live, different places you lived, family. Just so she said, all right, give me some time. And then maybe a couple of weeks later, she she called me and I went over to Spring Hill Apartments and she met me in the lobby and she came down with like a yellow legal pad. And it was just a list of names and numbers. That's it. And so I just started calling different people. I didn't know how I was going to put the book together. I didn't know how it was going to. But I will tell you this as a writer, uh, you know, a, 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 a um, master's degree, 
I understand how to put together a story with with the rising action and the conflict and all of that conflict hadn't. It was just about that stuff was around the corner. It was around the corner. It was because, you know, their first two years, they they just they cleaned house. You know, even that sophomore year, they brought Romeo Travis on. Right. But if you watch the movie, Romeo was kind of like an outsider because he hadn't grown up with them, didn't yeah. play AAU he with them. He felt like an outsider. And he felt yeah. like an outsider. Yeah. But they were still winning, so it didn't matter, you know. Mm-hmm. But that junior year, that Sports Illustrated was the start of all of that conflict and that rise. Because the very first game they played after um, the Sports Illustrated, they lost. They lost to George Jr. Republic at YSU. The very first game after that um, Sports Illustrated article came out, they lost. So the reason they lost was other teammates just had it just it it wasn't sitting well with them, perhaps. I, well, two things: we can blame it on the SI jinx. <laughs> you can do that. That's that's your first option. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Nothing against SI. <laughs> Love you, people. Yeah. Love y'all. <laughs> um, but no, I think what it was is. Th- that started ferment. It it it, 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 it had kind of started sophomore year, gotcha. even though they won the state championship. Um, Drew took over that year. Keith went to Akron. Yeah. So you had a new team. I mean, a new coach. Um, you had a whole a whole set of different uh, things that were going on for that team. They were they they were they they were. They had won two state championships. They were supposed to win a third. Um, they were winning, but they weren't the same team. They weren't the same team that had that chemistry. I see. And so maybe the hype was starting to get to them to where they went to George Jr. Republic and and played a team. You know, George Jr. Republic was a, a, a school that was made up of uh, kids who got kicked out of – it's like a, it was a reform school in PA. All right. So you had some hard-nosed kids who were like, "Who is this yeah, LeBron who did they James?" Think they are? Yeah. yeah, coming into Youngstown, yeah. close to us, and I think that game went into overtime. And I think LeBron had to. There was a point in the game where LeBron had to pick up Gloria because she had come onto the court. Of course, I still remember <laughs> some other games. Yes, yes, at, at, at Cleveland State. Yes, with um, who was it was um was Roy it? Roy Hall. Who he who he play for? Uh, Brush High School. Brush. Yeah, Brush. Brush Arcs. Brush. Yep. Yes, yes, yes. And there was a big old brouhaha with that. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. But uh, <laughs> and Roy ended up going to Ohio State, playing football. But but so you could see that that's where that junior years when kind of that. That conflict was starting, which would help build a story. You know, yeah. didn't know how it was going to end that year or senior year. Yeah. But that's that's kind of how the book started. I just started, um, you know, you know, interviewing people and then covering things. And then that senior year, this is a great story right here. So it's senior year. I'm taking over the Cavs beat. Um, but you I'll, still want to finish this book, and there's still mo- a lot of basketball oh, to well, talk that, about. That, that's the whole that, – that, you want to talk about conflict from a writer's standpoint. So um, – so I take over the beat, and and I forget who was on it. I want to say either Greg Couch or Chris Thomason, maybe. Okay, it was one of those. Chris Thomas, because before that, Broussard had it, and then after me, I think George Thomas took it over, and then Brian Winder, Scoop, you know, Scoop Wendy. Yeah, 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 Wendy took it. But so so that year, so so that year, they said, okay, you cover the Cavs, but don't travel with them. Travel with Saint V. Oh, interesting. 
Who so, came up with that idea? That's a great. I, I, that well, great. well, what happened was the Cavs started out. I think Lucas. So Coach Lucas was the coach. Luke. They were yeah. yeah. Oh, he he was great because there were times when like I would have to take my daughter. Like you know, my daughter would be home with me, and she was young. She wasn't in school yet. Coach Lucas would let me bring her. And he would let me sit her in in little. They were practicing. They weren't in the um that up. They weren't yeah. at the upstairs at at, at uh, it was the Gund Arena then. They were kind of practicing, but she would sit there and Lucas, Coach Lucas, he's coming. Hey, how you doing, girl? You know he was he was fabulous. But they weren't winning. They were a bad squad. You know, Dewan Wagner, Ricky, uh, um, oh. R- um, Ricky Davis, Ricky Davis, Jerron, 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 Jerron Jones. I think I'm trying to think of Chris Jawan. Mim. Yeah. Um. Oh, was point guard? Um. Milk Palacio. Oh my lord. Yeah. 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 Um, Smush Parker, <laughs> who I wrote a column. I said Smush is going to be the next smash in the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about that. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. But but so. Um, they started. They they weren't that good. So I remember and Le- and LeBron, even though they were coming off uh, losing the state championship, LeBron had grown. He was six yeah. eight and looked like a man. Yes, he did. And they started out just wiping teams out. And they had a national schedule. I mean, they were going to Philadelphia. Yeah, they had a few. They, had playing, they played out in California. They played, I went out there. Went out there. Yeah. You know, Westwood. You know, they played at the Palestra. They played at Mellon Arena. So and they were gathering all of this attention and the Cavs were struggling. So they said, why don't you just cover the Cavs at home and then travel with St. V. So wherever they went, you know, they played at the Greensboro Coliseum. Circus, baby. Yeah, it was. It was. And I got caught. I'll be honest with you. I got caught up in it because it was something, you know, it was just, you know, ESPN was everywhere. 60 Minutes was coming in. You know, the Letterman show was asking, you know, I was doing CNN. I remember a friend of mine was like, hey. I'm in the bathroom at the airport. <laughs> there you are. And I'm, I'm at the urinal, and I look at the TV, and I see your little chocolate head <laughs> on the screen at the airport on CNN. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was for me. It was it was it was um, it, 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 it for me it was just this crazy because I had never you know you know year before I'm covering you know high school and covering the Mac, and now. I'm being, you know, CBS this morning's calling me and, you know, calling the beacon said, hey, CBS, you know, this morning wants you or this. And it was just it was like it was a circus. It really was. And then all those controversies that came. You have the Jersey thing. Of course, we had the Hummer. um, And but through it all, um, you know, he he, he just he just continued to develop as a basketball player. Yeah. and, And learn his media skills and how to deal with with the media to which now he's a master yeah 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 um, interesting times yeah i mean I, I mean i'll be honest i mean he was you know they handled that i mean really you think about it, they handled that well i mean they they were young kids i mean they, they've got all of this you know they're getting all of this publicity but they're winning games they're going out they're doing their thing but they're still high school juniors and seniors i mean they're seniors now yep. but but they're just they're going i mean they're not taking a yellow bus they're taking a charter to the Akron Canton Airport, and then they're flying to L.A. They're flying to Philadelphia, the Palestra, with Stephen A. Smith on press row. I mean, he was sitting right behind me when he was working for the Philadelphia Inquirer mm-hmm. before he got into radio. So, I mean, it was just all of this, but they still managed it. And, you know, all the controversy, like the Hummer, you know, he got a loan to get the Hummer, 
But but what bank wouldn't loan them fifty thousand dollars, knowing that they're going to get their money and more once he graduates? Sure. You know. So and then the jerseys. I think Claire Mascaro, who was the Ohio High School athletic. I don't uh, think they knew how to handle this. No, they, they did. They, they were did. Clueless. Yes, I mean they were just getting calls and shoes and all of this kind of stuff. You know, this 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 this, and it's finally, I get it. I I get it. But I mean, you think about what those kids were going through. And I, I'm not trying to say they were, they were victimized or anything like that, but I mean, you just got the, you know, a, a basketball player who people are saying can be the greatest high school basketball ever, right here in Akron. It's not in Texas or California or New York. It's in our backyard. You know, it, it's right here. You know, where you would always think about football or whatever. The 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 mecca, the 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 basketball universe was in Akron, Ohio. And and so I think they handled all of that as well as you can expect high school kids playing together with the greatest basketball player of all time as far as high school. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought they did a phenomenal job. And that senior year, they didn't mess around after losing their junior year. They were wiping teams out, you know. And it was fun to watch because they did. They closed the deal and it was huge media presence there. Uh, down in Columbus when they did, and uh, it was like a going out party because you knew, you know, the next step for LeBron was first pick in the draft, yeah, and yeah. go on uh, from there. Yeah, you know what, JT? Can I go back just for a quick yeah. second? So sure. when they lost, so we were talking about him. They being, lost in the they, state yeah, title game his, his junior, junior year, year. Yep. and everybody was, was it on Elver? silver. It was, it was Cincinnati Elder. Cincinnati yes. Elver. And I remember, I remember, I, I remember. Okay, so we talk about being unselfish, and I remember. So, so they're down three. Um, I, uh, elders, they, they steal the ball. They, they, they tip it from Drew. Um, they go down score. So they're up three. Now there's like 20 something seconds left. So LeBron takes the inbound. He's walking it up and everybody is thinking LeBron's going to shoot a three or whatever. And Chad Morass comes off the baseline. He's on the left. He comes, he, he runs down the middle of the lane, comes the baseline, um, comes out to the elbow. LeBron throws it to him. Chad shoots the shot, misses, and they lose. And I knew the first and I knew the first question that somebody was gonna ask at the at the press conference. I knew what it was gonna be. Why and I knew shoot? what LeBron was gonna say. I knew what his answer was gonna be because Chad was open. I knew and guess what? Somebody said a basketball play. Yeah, it was a basketball play. And I knew and that was the first question. Somebody said, you know, LeBron, were you thinking about taking it? And he said, No. Chad was open and that was the right play. And and that's 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 when you when in retrospect you look at it, that's how he always played. That's why people say, how come you know he he can't be in the same you know conversation as the goat because he's not as you know cutthroat. And but the thing is, LeBron has always played that way. Yeah. He's always played that way. Yeah. I can and, remember when they played at Cleveland State, and that night. Uh, most of the Browns were there because I, I remember being in Berea a few days before and a lot of them were saying in the locker room, yeah, we're going to be there. We're gonna, we, we won't miss this opportunity to see yeah. this, this young kid play. And yeah, he dunks and he jumps high. And, and But the thing that they came away the most was his vision yeah. on the floor yeah. and how well he saw everything. He Gretzkyed basketball. <laughs> That's great. You know, because he saw not great. The, the upcoming play, but the play yeah, after the yeah, play. Absolutely. And that's how he – I remember the first time I ever saw him play basketball. Yeah. He played that yeah. style. Yes. And that hasn't changed, which is a good segue, I guess, because here we are doing this interview. Hasn't happened yet, but on the cusp 
of um, going past Kareem, number one all time, um, 21 years later mm-hmm. since he was a senior in high school. Uh, what are your thoughts? You know, um, I expected great things. I knew he was going to be a great basketball player. I knew he wasn't going, you know, his sophomore year, somebody asked me, hey, you know, what do you think? I was like, "Uh, I don't think he's going to college. And then his junior year, I was like, he is going straight to the NBA. So you knew he was going to have a great career. Did did I ever think that he would be the all-time leading scorer? I did. He had the potential, but you know, knock on wood, I mean, he's had a healthy career. I mean, think about how long, you know, the, yeah, the longevity. Very few games missed. Very few games missed. The durability of that guy. I mean, that that that's something I would have never, never. I mean, I don't even remember a time when he had, um, you know, extended periods of time where he was out. Yeah. I, I don't remember. And, yeah. and so what he's doing, I mean, I think it's just absolutely amazing and we're talking about something that you know in my lifetime will that ever like is anybody else who's who's the next who's who's the closest to becoming the all-time leading scorer i don't know outside of him i mean yeah. and look how long it's been it's it, it's held since kareem so um to t- to say i could see that now i knew he was going to be a great nba player didn't know how many years 10 maybe yeah. but to 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 do to do what he's doing at this level at this age this long it's it's spectacular. You got to put him in the conversation as the goat. Yeah. You have to. Yeah, it's it's really has been so fascinating. Not just to follow him as a player, but um, the areas that he's kind of grown up uh, to be more of a spokesman for, yeah. almost like his his athletic generation. Yeah, and to be the young man who wouldn't dodge talking about certain subjects mm-hmm. that others would definitely uh, run to the other side of the earth and not have to talk about. And he's always taken it on. So I give him a lot of respect for that. And while he didn't blaze trails, and here's segue number two, uh, David, Mary Motley did. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. uh, you had the great project writing the book when LeBron was in his beginning. But in the last two or three years, this iconic football legend mm-hmm. from our Northeast Ohio area that you're very, you were not only involved in a, um, a video production, a film, but you're dealing with a book here. Yeah. Take us to the origins of, of um, telling the story of the Hall of Famer, Marion Motley. Okay. Well, this goes back to 99 for a second, because um, in 99, there were there were a few um, former Browns players who passed away during the summer. So I covered a few of their um, funerals. One of them was Mary Motley. I covered Mary Motley's funeral. It was in Cleveland. And and I had known about I kind of knew Mary Motley because I grew up in Warren and my dad grew up with Paul Warfield. He's a friend of our family. And because my dad and Paul played baseball together, they grew up. Um, down in Fulton, you know, in Clinton streets, they grew up in Warren together, went to high school together. So I knew Paul Warfield. He was, he was, we knew who he was, but knew the Browns. Um, but to go back to 99, I covered, so I covered Mary Motley's funeral and Carmen Policy was there and there were so many people there. And that's when I really realized the impact of who Mary Motley was. I didn't know. I, You know, everybody goes to the stadium and you see that ring of honor and you see all those players up there. But when I saw Mary Motley, I'm like, OK, I kind of know what he did, but I don't know. So some friends of mine in Canton, um, we we it just so happened they were Canton McKinley grads and, and Mary Motley is a Canton McKinley grad. 
And these were white guys. These were white guys a few years younger than me, maybe in their mid-40s. But sure. about maybe four or five years ago, we were together, and they're huge McKinley fans, huge supporters. They love – you know, they just follow their team. And they're they're also in the business. They're they're filmmakers, and so they they said, you know, we should we should. Mary Motley's not honored the way he should be, especially in Canton. And you think about it, a lot of people in Canton really don't know who Mary Motley is. I mean, if you go downtown Canton, there's a mural of four football players right downtown along the parade route, and really, a lot of people just think there's some old black football players. That really, that's what that's what I thought. I was like, who are those old black football players? Didn't know the history. Those are the four black football players who broke the color barrier a year before Jackie Robinson. He one of them. He was one of them. And what happened was, so we decided, so we were like, you know, we should raise some money to get a statue of Mary Motley because other than the bust in in the Hall of Fame, there was a street over on the southeast side of Canton that was the Mary Motley Way or something over by where the OJ's way is. And old tires are dumped there, railroad tracks with grass growing underneath it. This, you know, you could just yeah. see the rusted tracks. That's where they are. So these white guys said we should raise money to honor Mary Motley before his memory fades. So we started, so we, we, we started to come up with ideas of how to raise money. And then those guys knew other people in Canton who, 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 who were better at that. I see. So then they got those people together. So then in our research, we started to realize, hey, let's tell Mary Motley's story. So we started to jump in as journalists and we put together a story uh, about Mary Motley's life and, you know, who he was and where he came from. So we did a PBS documentary that came out in 20, I want to say 2021. Um, and it, it aired on PBS Western Reserve. And it did so well that American public television, what they do is they, they usually only grab about 250 films a year to, 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 to um, air nationally. See. Mm -hmm. So then our film was one of the ones that was picked to air nationally on PBS. So it went national, all the PBS stations nationally. Um, Lines Broken, The Story of Mary Motley. It's a 30-minute documentary. And then they submitted it for Emmy, and we won a regional Emmy awesome. um, this past in, – in June of 2022, we won a regional Emmy for Best Historical Documentary. And so that's how this, this came about. And we were able to tell a story from passion. It was a passion project. And we told the story of 1946, Mary Motley and Bill Willis joined the Browns in the AAFC with Paul Brown. Um, but the story is Kenny Washington and Woody Strode, the other two players, when the Cleveland Rams left in 45, I mean the Cleveland, you know, yeah. the Cleveland Rams were here, they went out to LA. And so the black sports writers in LA said, if you're gonna use the uh, LA Coliseum, taxpayer money, then you have to sign some black players. And I think it was Dan Reeves, the owner, was like was reluctant sure. so they signed two players Woody Strode and Kenny Washington but they were past their prime they had played in the Pacific Coast League they were beaten up and you know they were way past their prime but Dan Reeves just wanted to satisfy you know that referendum the of, clamor. Yeah, yeah. yes yeah. so but here in Cleveland Paul Brown who was at Maslin and who coached Marion Motley at the Great Lakes Naval Training um, Base a year before you know, they brought those guys in, and in 46, the Browns won the AFC and won the league the, the next four years. Right. 
and he so was, he was the big one of the big catalysts. One of the big catalysts. I mean, he led the league every year. But that says a lot about it says a lot about Northeast Ohio and Paul Brown and and him understanding that you know I don't care what color you are if you could play football. And what I loved about Paul Brown in doing research was he was not going to tolerate anybody on that team being racist toward his players. He and, and he made that clear. If you don't accept these guys, then I don't want you on this team. Mm-hmm. And that was great. That that was that 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 said a lot about the Cleveland Browns and Paul Brown and the fact that he brought these guys in and said, I don't care about, you know, we want to win football games. So about the Marion Motley statue. Which famous Cat McKinley alumnus helped make it happen? What other famous folks lent their help as well? We will get to that in just a second. But first, since 2015, the Cooper Foundation has been helping children and young adults with special needs in Northeast Ohio. Sometimes you just need a helping hand. For more information, go to thecoopfoundation.com. Now, back to the interview, that motley statue. It did indeed happen last summer. Um, Josh McDaniels, so the Raiders were there, and Josh McDaniels played at McKinley. So he brought the team, he brought the Raiders down with Derek Carr, all of the guys, and it was a great moment because it was a beautiful sunny day. Oh, fantastic! And he brought all the um, the there were two buses that came down, and they kind of got off the bus, but it was quiet and and solemn, and they just kind of stood around the statue and looked at it, and and you know they kind of just took in the significance of what that statue meant. It's right there, if you you know where it is. It's that little square, it's Stadium Park, like there's that little tunnel that goes underneath 77 and then it goes up to the Hall of Fame. There's a little, there's a little squ- a triangle kind of, and that's where the statue is. And how difficult was it to, to have it constructed in, in? Well, well, it was, it, it was constructed in Italy. It was shipped over. Um, and the great thing is, um, we were short, not short, but we were trying to raise the goal. I think it was like $120,000, but we got to a point. And then Josh McDaniels, like, chipped in and got Bob Kraft and, and, and Bill Belichick, and that pushed us over. Gotcha. That pushed us over. And so, um, yeah, so it was unve- – it's there now. It's down – the, the Mary Motley statue is there now. Okay. It was a five-year process. Um, and so what happened was – we we had so much material, so much research left that um, you know I kind of pitched the book to some different um, um, publishers. A North Star edition out of Minneapolis picked it up, so the book will be released. Um, you could order it now; it's on Amazon. It will be released July twenty third, oh, or cool. July thirty first, I think, or twenty third or thirty first, but a week before um, the 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 Hall of Fame game. It's great that it coincided with all the, the festivities over the. Oh, summer. absolutely, yes. yes, perfect timing, perfect that, timing. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, let's go back to you. You, uh, you also have a, a connection with 
when you started as a sports writer, it was kind of like an offshoot of being around music all the time. Yeah, yeah, what, yeah. What, what was that all about for you? Well, I always loved sports. I, I always liked to write, but I never showcased it. But I loved sports. But my mom was a gospel singer, and she's a member of the Grammys. And she sang with this gospel group called the Caravans, which basically like they are the they are the Rolling Stones of 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 gospel music. Everybody, if you if you're if you're black and you grew up in church, you know who the caravans are and you know who, um, you know, um, Reverend James Cleveland is. You know who Shirley Caesar is. You know who Albertina Walker is. Hmm. And so my mom sang with the caravans in the 60s, late 60s and into the 70s. And so but just being around. I mean, we went to church all the time. I went to I think <laughs> that's why I became such a good, ba- a great, ba- oh, not great, but a good baseball player, because they would say, anybody want to practice on Sunday? And I'm like, me, me, because I don't want to go to church. church. <laughs> Too much. Church. Yes. And my friends would be like, oh, come on. I was like, we got to practice. You know, I just didn't <laughs> want to be good. Church. We got to be good. <laughs> we got to be good. Or refine our skills. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but I grew up like my mom singing constantly. I mean, we still have a ham. Uh, she has a ham and organ there with those big speakers. And she's got a, a baby grand piano in the living room. And she plays all the time it's kind of out of tune but um this this is a funny story i remember being in chicago when i was a kid and i never realized this jt until like maybe the last three or four years ago we were in chicago and i just remember being a kid and i remember going into this building with these big silver heavy doors and i remember walking into the doors and then i remember walking into this room and I remember this white man sit me on a stool <laughs> and I remember there were these there was just a lot of glass and there were all these buttons everywhere. And then I remember they took my mom somewhere. And then I remember seeing her on the other side of this glass with all of the other ladies. And then I remember seeing a spotlight there and I remember seeing a microphone there. And I didn't know what it was. I just remember I couldn't get over there because my mom was over there. Gotcha. But I remember they let me play with these buttons. I just remember that. <laughs> and I don't even know how long I was in there because I was just having fun with these buttons. But I remember when we were leaving, I look up and I see this rocket. It was a silver rocket going across the sky. Boom! Right? Years later, I, I realized I was in the studio and... I was looking at the L train. Oh, above you. It was above me. It was just the L train going across. Didn't even realize that until like maybe three or four years ago when I kind of just played it back. It's crazy. Yeah, it's a crazy. It's a crazy story. What you remember. And I remember that. But I just, you know, growing up in a house that was a lot of music. My sister is a classical pianist. Um, She's traveled. She's playing in Kenya. She lives in D.C. She's played at the French Embassy. She's played. We we were at the Congressional Medal of Honor ceremony, and she played. And there was Pelosi. There was um, Cory Booker. There was uh, Mitch McConnell. We were there. It was it was incredible. And she played. And then um, when she was done, you know, they all gave her a standing ovation. But it was it was incredible. But it was all because of our music. You know, it was all. Came from my mom. Wow, that's and she's a great writer. She writes poems. So I think that's where I got my writing. Didn't know that I would want to do this, but but I think the writing it was there because of my mom. So how has the transition been for you, David, to be a like a media teacher and 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 a teacher to kind of develop future storytellers? Yeah, well, well, it's, well, it's How's funny. That? Well, it, it's been great, but really, I, I teach English. I teach senior English. We're in the middle of Macbeth right now. We're in Act Four of Macbeth, um, but I, this is my first year teaching video journalism because the teacher, um, that teacher left, and this was opening. They asked me to do it because of gotcha. my background, and I love to do it. I'm a print guy, 
I've done TV. I didn't like it, but I'll tell you why, because I didn't it didn't give me enough time to tell stories. You know, so when I transitioned, I worked at WYTV in, in Youngstown and I could be in front of the camera, but I didn't like it. It just it was there was so much more to tell. Yeah. And I wasn't able to it's tell. It's very constricting. Yeah, it's very constricting. So what I would start doing is I was going into schools where my friends were teachers and they say, hey, can you come in and talk about the, you know, the process of writing and how important writing is? So I started doing that more and more when I worked at the Beacon during the day, I would go into schools. So then I went back to school and got my master's got my teaching license, and this is probably my 10th year teaching, I think. I, I absolutely, the connection that you make with the kids and to get them to understand that you don't have to be a great writer, yeah. but but be a solid writer, right? Don't, don't write long sentences, write short sentences, but make sure you can communicate because when you go to a job, I tell them there's this thing called fill your white space. So when you fill out an application, it's going to say, you know, where do you live? But somewhere on that piece of paper, it's going to say, tell us about you. And if you can't fill that white space, you're not going to get that job or that scholarship. You're not getting it. So I try to tell, you know, write short sentences. I'm a conscientious worker. I work (laughs) hard and I'm a team. First of all, when I see somebody that writes conscientious, I'm like, hire them. How do you know that word? (laughs) Yes, how do you know that? Now, if they write something like, what do you do in your spare time? Oh, I I like to um, help out at the Salvation Army. You know, we do a lot of things with, um, you know, with socks for socks for, you know, cancer or whatever. Now. Now, if somebody has, um, what do you like to do in your spare time? Oh, I like to kick it with my boys in the hood, yeah, and we play, play we video ball. games. Yeah, play yeah. video games. I'm not hiring you. Yeah. You have to fill that white space. Plus, the practical things that I've learned in my life as a 57 year old, the mistakes I've made, a million of them. Sure. Um, I'm able to say, okay, look, you can make mistakes. Forget about that, but be a better person. And Coach Trestle taught us that. Yeah. You know, be a better person. Um, you know his his you know, winner's manual, you know, fundamentals for winners, caring, class, discipline, faith, focus, belief, uh, gratitude, humility, all of those things. If you can incorporate those in your life every day, then then being a success is a byproduct. Yeah. You know, and that's what he taught us at YSU when I was there in the 80s, you know. So but being in the classroom is such I mean, JT, I'm done at 140. I mean, and I'm off in the summer. Keep talking, man. I'm I'm done at 140. <laughs> You're convincing a lot of our listeners. Now we work this hard, is, and there's I'm a sure. lot that you go through, and it's and, it's and, yeah. You know, you know, you're you're talking about, you know, young people who think because they didn't get a strawberry um, uncrustable that their life is over, you know, like it's the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I can't deal with this. You know, like, you know, know, that that's very minor, you know, but listen, let's look at the big picture. Let's look at the big. Let's let's get your skills. Let's get your writing skills. Let's get you to understand how Macbeth really is related to Breaking Bad. You know, they're there. Walt is the same character as Macbeth. We have a lot like he does the same thing. He has flaws. His natural order is upset. He yeah. knows what's right, but he's not doing it. Yeah. And then you, because he wants to provide for his family because he when wants, he's gone. When he's gone. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, there is a prophecy. Um, Macbeth is supposed to be a king. Um, uh, um, Walt is going to die. You know, so so then when you're able to kind of relate those things to then then students want to read Romeo and Juliet. Or they want to read Shakespeare, or they want to read those classics, and they realize that people who are making films are basing everything on stories from Shakespeare. They're just making them in a contemporary way. 
How do you get them to communicate more so than just what's in front of them on the screen on this device that we all have in our pockets? That's that's hard. I will tell you this. Um, I used to teach younger levels, freshmen, and so that was a that was tough because it was all instant. They wanted things instantly right there in front of them. I have seniors now, and it's different because the seniors are looking at that next phase of their lives. And so, but but th- these devices are the hardest thing. Now, what we've got to do is learn how to kind of incorporate those and have them use these as as resources. You know what I mean? So we do a lot of things where, you know, they have to click and push buttons. And we, we have a lot of stuff on the screen where they can answer questions like Jeopardy. But um, I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know what the best way is to use these things as a teaching tool. We put them away when our kids come in so I could have that one on one with them. Um, and it works because if, if, if I'm already setting that standard, like put them away, let's just put them away and let's do some, the kids already know when they come in, they put them away and I, I don't have any problems with them. That's a good way to end this one. I know I've been all over the place. This has been great. This has been really an absolute joy. I've known each other for a long, long time. Oh, oh, JT, hold on. Listen, I don't know if you remember this. Um, we did Sky Fox together. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes. We did Sky Fox. Yes. Um, and that first was... of all, that's a treat. You know, and I'm referring to our Friday night touchdown. Yes. Uh, uh, all the games that we would do, we'd fly over, drop down, drop in, fly back, oh. pick it up. Uh, Rizzo did it for many, yes. many years and stuff. Yes, yes. And you, li- you lived I to did tell it the tale. Because I always saw those at games that I was covering. Yeah. So I, I remember on a Monday, uh, Larry Pantages was our assistant. I said, yeah. Larry, we should do a story. You should let me fly in a helicopter. And they're like, what? Oh, there's too much, you know, in shares. I said, no, let's just. So they said, go ahead and do it. And I contacted you guys. And what we did was, I think our first, we we drove to, we drove to, I met you at the station and we drove to a Cleveland a city game because they started early, I think. And then we rode, then we drove to Lake, Bur- uh, Burke Lake. Lakefront. And then our first game was Copley. <laughs> and then the second game was Perry. And then the third game was Canton South. And then this was the greatest – this is probably one of the best things I've ever experienced. We're flying back to Cleveland, and looking down, you could just see stadiums yeah. just like like in Stark County, just lights here, lights like here, it. lights here, lights here. And then we got to Springfield, lights here, Talmadge, and then we got to Route 8, and then it was completely dark Yeah, <laughs> yeah. because we were flying over the Cuyahoga Valley National Park, was, Yeah, and it was just – and then that giant and then we weren't on we were just past route eight it was dark and then that giant camera shot the indians were playing the indians at the time that camera shot to the indians logo at progressive field from how far we were yeah it was incredible well it's even more refined nowadays david because uh we have like a 4k camera down there and one of the beautiful things now is even though we can't land the helicopter because of insurance right. issues nowadays, okay. we shoot with this amazing camera and it's so sharp that, you know, we do a thing called sky score. Yeah. And, and oh, that's yeah. a beautiful oh, thing yeah. when you can catch some kid from Talmadge, you know, catching a pass and yep. going the last 20 yards and we can all scream in the studio. It's a sky yeah, score. Yeah. No, you guys, those are, oh, we can't, we, that, we enjoy it. Yes, it was great. It was great. But I just had to throw that that's in all, because I we had so much fun with that. Continued success to you, my friend. Thank you. Great seeing you, JT. You too.
Thanks very much, David. I really appreciate the time with you. And it was just so great to catch up on all those memories you had when we were covering the LeBron James ascension to fame. And that senior year was certainly a wild year, to say the least. David Lee, by the way, has a blog that he's been keeping track of certain aspects of his professional life and personal life as well. He writes about his mother, the famed gospel singer. You can go to davidleemorganjr.com, davidleemorganjr.com to check out some of his writings. And that will do it for this week's edition of Tellage Talks. Thanks very much for listening. And we hope to catch up with you the next time around right here on Tellage Talks. Have a great week.